everybody. Welcome. So, uh, always have first time up here to come let me ask uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you are a kid, what are you thinking about being when you grow up? Okay, what I wanted to be, I wanted to be Batman. It's like when I was a kid, so I wanted to be Batman, but that wasn't really my realistic goal. It was more my fantasy goal. But my realistic goal was I wanted to be an artist. What about you? What was your realistic goal? Did you become what you wanted to be? Now, the most popular job for kids today that they want to be, and I looked this up, were doctors, so both people and tech, nurses, teachers, scientists, singers and musicians, actors and athletes, astronauts, writers, police officers, fashion designers, spies, chefs, of course now, online influencers, just, you know, take selfies all day and wait for them to go. But I don't know if you dream about becoming like Jesus, right? He's kind of portrayed as this mild-mannered dude walking around in the world, preaching to people, and just kind of not spark your imagination a whole lot. Until you begin to really look into Jesus' life, and then you think, yeah, I think I kind of do want to be like that guy. So we're in this series through this short letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the city of Colossae, uh, which is very and his main concern for these Christians there is that they grow up. Be like Jesus, be spiritually mature. Remember our definition of a disciple is uh, someone who is trusting Jesus for salvation and transforming to resemble Jesus. That's our concern for church life. Bring people to Christ and faith and help them to become more like Christ, to, to grow through Christ-like one we want to become like. And that's why our mission is all about pointing people to the way to life. We want uh, people to be like Jesus, to know the way, know, know the truth, love, go the way, live the life where I want to be like Jesus, I want to think like Jesus, I want to act like Jesus. He's my model for everything. So if you missed any of the text messages, you can watch my text on the website. But today we're going to turn in our Bible to get on the path of the way to say, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick that up in verse 18. And Paul now turns to how to become a Jesus in your family life and in your work life. And you need to hear this today, no matter what role you play, so that's going to be like a child or a parent or a worker or a boss, because he's going to address all of us on how to be like Jesus in those different roles. The main point is to serve in your roles as Jesus would. So let's go off with marriage. Verses 18 and 19. Why? Because your husband, as is sitting in the Lord, husbands love your wives and do not be part with them. So that's not really a piece of calligraphy. Our work now is to cover people's bedroom walls in their homes. Like we don't post that, so yes, we love that verse. Uh, but the piece of marriage is going to be taken by God. It's rampant. Uh, marriage is just devalued. So that people who trip to it later, 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 or just out of all the objects, live together. Uh, it's been redefined to mean whatever you want it to mean. So something is radically wrong with marriages and the breakdown of the home today. But God has a deal in this plan for what marriage ought to be. His original intentions go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the farther we get from God's intention, the weaker marriage is from but the closer we get to God's original intention, the more our families will thrive. 
I chose the family, so they supposed to. I wonder if it's a man. And we're not immune from it. Why do so many Christian marriages struggle? Lord. 
license leadership, which has been delegated to him by God. But there's also this feminist ideology today that pushes back against anything to do with submissive, because it comes from thinking, well, that means being inferior. And that's just not the case. Because so you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all equal. But for the sake of order, for the sake of accomplishing God's work and will in the world, the Son submitted himself to the Father. Does that make him less than or inferior to the Father? No. Different roles to play in God's work. And some people don't call relationships between the two of male or female, absolutely. But don't get out of the context. That's, that's, that has nothing to do with our roles. That's a question of salvation. That's where the fact that we're all made equally in God's image. He decides equally for all of us, and we all equally have access to God and salvation. We are still male and female. If you erase that, make it one, some kind of unisex. Interchangeable creatures. We still want male female roles to fulfill in the home. We need it. We bring something unique to the home. When you think about it, submission takes place in every organization, every institution there is. There has to be a function of it. It's like military. It's got privates and sergeants and corporals and colonels and generals. Like, you could be a private. And that doesn't mean you're inferior to a sergeant. You can be a colonel, and that doesn't mean you're less of a man than the major is. You can, you can be a sergeant and be a better man than the general is. But somebody wants to be in leadership so the work can get, get done. And if you're in company, they get the team. The COO makes you a better person than the CEO. A plane got tired. Co-pilot. I'm 14. The guy's head coach and the official coach. Why? So this is things can win. So that's the way God does it. Everything is done decently and in order. So that in the home, the husband is charged with the responsibility of headship. Someone has to make the final decision. And someone has to relinquish control that's going to work. But there's so much misunderstanding and mischaracterization of submission. It's there is absolutely nothing wrong with submission. We all submit to somebody at some point. And, I mean, in, in all kinds of different situations, we submit to somebody. Because if, if we refuse to do that, things break down. They don't work. Submission means we respect one another's roles. And why is there so much conflict in marriage? Because it's about, I want to gain control. I don't want to relinquish control. So that kind of control can take the form of being aggressive and domineering, or it can take the role of being very uh, subtle, manipulative. I don't know. Hey, do you agree? Men are not the only ones who are dictators. Women are not the only ones who play mind games. That's why we have the problem we do. If, if somebody's trying to control the other through whatever way they can, we make the point of it. I know women can get all bent out of shape today by listening to a lot of feminist propaganda. And men can get all messed up by listening, listening to a lot of misogyny. Which don't buy into the world's ways of doing things. 
the feminism will say, women can have it all and get killed right now. Word for love in the Greek is deeper than the English word. It's a gospel. He said, 
serving sacrificial selfish kind of love that Jesus gave with his church. That means to command. It means you've got to love her even when she's not very lovable. Come on. She's not always lovable. You don't always feel like loving her. But you do it anyway. Voluntarily submits to her husband. Even if she doesn't feel like it, even when he's not being very respectable. It's a part of that way. But she still has to do it. And when you're leading like this, well, no problem. Who wouldn't want to defer to somebody who's leading like this? But what's not? Or it's made him 
a better person. And it would actually benefit our home because of the way that they're acting. So, as difficult as it is, you could do what you can do to build a good home to lead your children to faith. So, we don't get the time now to talk about the kids. So, Thank 
we want to be on the same page with our kids and how they raise them. We want our kids to be disciplined. These are principles for every kind of parent. Grandparents, single parents, step parents, yeah, it's tougher. But yeah, we want to be the kind of parents that our kids enjoy being with, don't we? Whatever you do, work hardly for the Lord, 
cannot remain, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of the Redeemer. You're serving the Lord Christ, so the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong you've done, and there is no partiality. Master, keep the doctrine justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So once again, you see, Christianity confers rights and responsibility that were countercultural and controversial. Let, let me briefly point out that slaves back then were pretty different than what we think of as slaves today. It's not complex. It's not the cut and dry, literally black and white kind of slavery we think about in American context. You understand slavery is always done. Slavery has been in every culture throughout history. Pretty much every race has perpetrated it, and every race has been victims of it. But the Bible condemns slavery. Well, remember, Old Testament Hebrew slavery was very different than Roman slavery in the New Testament. The Israelites had been slaves themselves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to free them, so they understood. And they were told never to mistreat slaves as they had been mistreated. If you were slaves, they didn't really have rights. So it would be easy to dehumanize them. I just don't do that. This is a regulation to treat them justly. So, let's think about you. What are you going to do with people when you go into a nation and you conquer the people? What do you do with them? Maybe it's all the civilians. You kill them? You kill them? No. That's dangerous. Then you put them to work. That's all. What do you do with us? What about when somebody commits a crime? What do you do with a thief? You make them pay back? How do you do that? You make them work. What's that called? Slavery. But today we get another name. What do we call it? Prison. Prison is slavery. Did you know that? It's right there in the U.S. Constitution that we are allowed to enslave people in prison. Why? Because they're paying off their debt. What do you do with people who've gone bankrupt? And they've got debts to pay off? You make it work. What's that called? Slavery? No, no, we don't do that. Put them in prison. It's still slavery. And so we've got all these ancient societies and modern societies built on the concept of slavery. Now, often, so, people in place were set free. They would serve a length of time and then they'd let go. It wasn't history for a lifetime. But sometimes it was. Why? Because they chose to remain slaves. Why would they do that? Because I got a good. If you got a good master, life is good. If you got a bad master, life is pretty miserable. But these are these household bond servants. They function as teachers, physicians, manual laborers, farmers, garbage disposal systems. It wasn't easy being a slave in the Roman Empire. Even though they're doing important work, they still slaves. In fact, the Roman Empire was made up of millions and millions and millions of slaves. Ancient economies were built on the back of conquered people. So here's what we need to understand about slavery in the Bible. is both the Old Testament and the New Testament condemn what we typically think of as slavery today, which is the slave trade. Kidnapping people and selling people. Those were the worst sinners in Scripture. 
primarily the English and United States to spearhead the abolitionist movement and got rid of us of slavery. But it's still going on around the world, isn't it? A lot of slavery, human trafficking, still Think about it. If you were Paul back in the Roman Empire and you're writing about this, why don't you just write, slaves rise up. Let's say everybody let the slaves free. What do you think of how do you get rid of slavery back then? You're the small minority of people in this humongous empire. If you had called for that, it would have crushed Christianity. And it would have led to the death of human common slaves. It's a waste of So instead, Paul takes a different focus. He's been writing about how slaves should be saved. And how slaves only should be saved. Personal things. He taught. Christian slaves might ask to tell them, hey, if you can gain your freedom, give it. But if you can't, don't let it trouble you. Because remember, in Christ, you're a free man. And if you're already a free man or even a master in society, you're still a slave under Christ. So whatever you do for a living, understand you are the Lord's bond servant. And if you're a bond servant, then obey sincerely as you would obey Christ. Because it's really him you're working for. No matter what you do for a living, you're working for Jesus. He taught Christian slave owners. Yes, Christian slave owners. Here's how to treat your slaves. Such as Christian slaves. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Treat them right. Treat them justly. Treat them mercifully. Don't use their authority in a domineering, heart threatening way. That be devoted to their welfare. And if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, what do you think that's ultimately going to lead to? You don't let them go. How can you keep your brother and sister? That's exactly what happens. So, the way we do our work here, I hope to keep the Bible, is this Worse and labor when we understand that our job is being done to the glory of God and what is the good of others. We simply have rights and responsibilities. Folks, we always think about our rights. Right now, Americans, we have rights. So we've got a right to choose what kind of job we want. We have a right to be treated fairly. And we have a right to be compensated justly. And if we don't like it, we have a right to leave.